0: Hello and welcome to More Than Politics, a podcast for those of us who want something more than what we've come to expect from politics, and from our political discourse. My name is Julie Varner Walsh, I'm your host. Today's episode is a little different from our usual format. Instead of inviting on a friend to ask them questions, this time I'm joined by a friend who's asking me the questions. Because we're in the run-up to election day here, my friend Rita Bittner and I thought it would be helpful to do a roundup of topics that might be of interest to listeners just before the election. In our conversation, we cover modes of voting, write-in and third-party voting, how to make your final choices, if you haven't yet, voting even when it feels like your vote can't make a difference, and information to keep in mind about how mail-in ballots are counted. We cover the Electoral College why politics in the United States is dominated by two political parties rather than three or more, what to watch for on election night, and what may come in the months following the election. A former journalist, Rita Bittner is a wife, working mother, and author of the Catholic Review's Open Window blog. She and her husband adopted their two sons from China, and Rita often writes about topics concerning adoption family, and faith. In her full-time job, Rita is Director of University Communications for Loyola University, Maryland. Our conversation was recorded on October 27th. All right. Hello, Rita.
1: Hi, Julie.
0: How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for
1: having me today.
0: Yeah, and today we're doing things a little differently. I'm going to hand it over to Rita here in a minute, who's going to ask the questions. Um, She'll ask some of her own questions, also a couple of questions from listeners, and we're going to just sort of wrap up the election season and talk about um, some interesting and important things to think about right before the election. So Rita, can you start off by introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about you?
1: Sure. Thanks, Julie. Um, So I actually am a journalist originally by trade or by experience and started out in newspaper reporting for about five years before I went into the world of public relations. Right now, I work as director of university communications for Loyola University Maryland in Baltimore. Uh, and on the side, I do writing, blogging, and column writing, and a little freelance writing, mostly for the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Catholic Review in Baltimore. And so I am excited to be on the other side of the table asking you questions, Julie, and getting to interview you, because I've known you mostly as a fellow writer and blogger myself.
0: Yeah, Rita, I think you were one of my first blog readers. And <laughs> and um We connected pretty soon thereafter and found that we knew people in common, and you and I just hit it off, and you are one of the few blogging friends where I, like consider you like a, you know, totally real life, non-blogging friend too. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> That's always true good for, for me a, too. <laughs> good, good for a, to be a sounding board and good for a phone conversations.
1: So. Well, I've been excited to see your podcast take off because I feel it was just a few months ago that we were talking about this as a possibility and here we are and it's yeah. just going so well and clearly seems to be such a natural fit for your talents. So I'm excited to be part of it.
0: Yeah, well I'm so I'm glad we could do this. All right.
1: Wonderful. Well let's get started. So Julie, I feel like you are like kind of a political junkie for me. And so tell us how you feel as election day gets closer. Is a presidential election for you like your World Series or your Super Bowl? Do you get excited? Do you get nervous? Do you have trouble sleeping? Just tell tell me what it's like.
0: Yeah yeah I think that's probably a pretty accurate description i um yeah, I get pretty excited, I guess it's like you know you've been thinking about it and talking about it for so long and then you finally get to see what happens so yeah, it is exciting, it's like exciting with a healthy dose of dread, you know <laughs> because there's like so much more at stake than a sports game you know? um so yeah, I mean, part of me is really excited, and I just kind of want to see how everything turns out and I reading up on all the numbers and everything and then um a big part of me is just like praying and you know Mm. worrying and angsting and all that so it's like it's the interesting and fun and like awful all mixed together (laughs) yeah
1: it's a lot yeah, so <laughs> um, fun that I, I like thinking about what it must be like for you. I'm following with interest and concern, of course, but not in as deep. But um, <laughs> but one of the things I noticed this year is I feel like everywhere I turn, people are talking about making a plan to vote, and. I love that idea as a working mom of two who cannot figure out how to find more hours in my day. And I think I need plans for many more things, Um, you know, meals and all those things. But I wondered is that language, do you think that's language that we see usually, or is that specific to this pandemic year where? Everything we do requires a little more planning, grocery shopping and all the things. Do you feel like that's different this year because of the pandemic or is that more normal?
0: Than I'm I feel like it's different this year for two reasons. One, because of the pandemic mm-hmm. and two, because of the way President Trump has been talking about voting. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely because of the pandemic, you know, a lot of people were thinking, do I really want to be there in person? Maybe I should do an absentee ballot if I can. Um, other people who want to vote in person maybe don't want to vote on election day because maybe if they go a different day, they think the lines will be less and they won't be surrounded by as many people. So definitely the pandemic is playing in to a large degree. Um but also, related to that, um, President Trump has really been casting doubt on the idea of mail-in voting. And so I think there's also been a big anxiety for people who plan to vote that way in that, um, you know, is it the right thing to do? Is it safe? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I send in my ballot via the mail... Will it be received in time? Will it be counted? And so that might also make some people who had originally wanted to vote um, by absentee ballot um, think maybe they would rather go in person, you know? So I think the two Mm -hmm. related issues combined Mm -hmm. um, put us in the situation where people are saying, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to go. I'm not exactly sure how I want to participate, so I really need to think it through
1: mm-hmm. and try
0: to make a smart decision and try to plan for how I want to vote. And I mean, even in my own life, I um, I have always voted on Election Day. Like, I find it very exciting to yes. vote on Election Day, <laughs> and I also always wanted to have as much information as possible, so I didn't want to potentially miss anything that would happen right before the election yeah back, I did vote absentee when I was in college because oh, I
1: was, that would sense, Sure, you know,
0: not physically. did <laughs> my polling yes. location.
1: Yes, this is my first year voting by mail, and I had never considered doing it before, but I was thinking about um my children and not wanting to take them with me, which would normally be my procedure for doing it. And this year with the virus, not thinking that was a great idea. So mm-hmm. this year I did vote by mail, but I thought, wow, I've already voted. What if I changed my mind on something, or maybe I should have done a little more research on some of the questions on the ballot and here it's already been cast. So.
0: Right. That's great. Yeah. I ended up not requesting an absentee ballot because I I guess I kind of got cold feet about it. I just, (laughs) I I just, I ended up deciding that I really wanted to do it in person, make sure, make sure it was counted. Um, But I am probably going to be voting early because I don't have a babysitter on election day. And that's Uh the kind of thing I would normally take my kids with me. And I am not taking five kids to a polling place with me right now. (laughs) So (laughs) I I don't know how long I'm going to have to wait.
1: Right. So, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, some of the lines have been amazing. So if someone has not made a plan to vote, what what would be your advice to them?
0: Well, unless they have an absentee ballot in hand, it's probably too late to mm-hmm. to go that route. If you do have one in hand, at this point, you should be trying to take your ballot to a drop-off location and not putting it in the mail. It's probably too late at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily. It, it does depend on your state. Some states will accept ballots that are postmarked by Election Day. Other states, they have to actually be received by Election Day. Oh, so you yeah. should check to see what your state's requirements are. And if it's a postmarked state, you might be fine still trying to mail it. If it has to be received, I would go ahead and just take it to a drop-off location. That so, sense. but that's if you already have an absentee ballot in hand that you can do something with. If you don't, you're, then you're going to have to go in person and you need to find out what your options are. You need to know if you go on election day, where your polling place is and make sure you know what you need to bring with you, whether you need to bring any ID, um, make sure you understand what all their protocols are, their plans, Um, And if you would prefer to try to vote early, again, see what your state's rules are and where the locations are, because they very well may not be the same location. So, like in my case, Mm -hmm. my polling place is right around the corner from where I live, but it is not an early voting location. In order to Ah. vote early, there are only a couple locations in my county, and I'm going to have to drive farther. So just make sure you know the rules where you live. Right. You plan accordingly.
1: That might, that's great advice. So let's say that I want to vote, I'm ready to go, I have a plan, but I've watched no debates, I've read really nothing about the candidates and the issues, maybe know the names, just but feel really in the dark. How would you recommend I quickly get up to speed so that I can make a good decision, not just in the presidential election, but on some of these very local issues as well.
0: Right, so um at this point, I don't think there's a lot you could read about the presidential candidates that would help you make an informed decision because you know there's so much out there. there's just mm-hmm. there it would just be an information overload. There's no quick search on the presidential election. I mean, I think probably most people already have a pretty good sense of what their inclinations are, what their priorities are. Um, if you're really stuck, honestly, I would talk to a trusted friend. Mm-hmm. If you have a friend who whose judgment you trust, I mean, that's the important part. Yeah, <laughs> friend yeah. whose judgment you trust, who pays attention, ask them what they think. Maybe yeah. even ask a few friends. Um, it's funny
1: you say that, Julie, because just today a friend reached out to me, and she was asking for this kind of advice. And she was like, I need you to talk me into one of them. I am really on the fence. I go back and forth. And so we had a really interesting conversation and I don't know if I was helpful or not, but it was almost exactly what you're describing.
0: Yeah. Well, and hopefully your friend, even if they, even if they're, you know, not going to hand you a, a magic answer can ask you the right kind of questions to like, mm-hmm. to, 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 to make you see what's most important to you, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: That's a great, great way to think about it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So that's on the presidential level. On the local levels, you still have time to do research. Mm-hmm. So get online, do some good old-fashioned cramming, <laughs> look, <laughs> look up the candidates' websites. Um, you know, usually the candidates' websites are, are pretty vague, Mm -hmm. But um, but still, they they include some information. I mean, they're going to have policy positions on there, and some of them you might have real problems with, Mm -hmm. and those might be red flags for you. I have also noticed sometimes, especially on local elections, if I look at a candidate's website, and it's like super poorly done, like the, the writing is incomprehensible, that's a good clue to me that maybe this is this person is not fit for the job, you know. Sure, sure. Um, so, I mean, most of them are going to be fine and passable, but mm-hmm. every once in a while you see one, you are like, yeah, I don't think that person's quite up to snuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so look at the websites. A lot of times local newspapers will publish interviews with candidates. So uh, that can be a great source of information. Like a lot of times local papers will run um, series of interviews with candidates for local public office. So look for those. Also look for information from organizations you trust. So you, you and I as Catholics, we can go look on the Maryland Catholic Conferences website to see whether they've done a candidate survey this election. Um, A lot of Catholic conferences do that. Mm -hmm. Um, The League of Women Voters, I know a lot of people like their election materials. Um, If you really care about environmental issues, look at an environmental group in your area. If abortion is your priority, look at your state, uh, right to life group. So they're just, there are a lot of different organizations that will either conduct a candidate survey or they will outright make an endorsement. So mm-hmm. talk to people you trust, look to organizations you trust, look to local news sources. Um, And that's, I don't know. That's, that's good advice. I like
1: that. I, the endorsement <laughs> piece is a, is a good one too. Like seeing who's aligned with, um themselves with your the candidate that you might not know, but you might know the people who are who are recommending them and you might have an opinion or an understanding of their stance on issues. So that that's probably and, a good indicator.
0: Yeah, and also recognize that not all groups are going to make outright endorsements, like religious mm-hmm. groups won't do that because right. for tax purposes, they can't endorse any candidate. So like a, faith, a faith-based a faith group can ask candidates questions, but mm-hmm. they cannot tell you which question they think, which answer is correct. You know, they have to, they can just ask, they ask the questions and they let you decide for yourself, that kind of a thing. But a group that's totally... a a group that's not necessarily like tax exempt, they could go ahead and make an endorsement. So Mm -hmm. like labor unions will make endorsements. Um, You know, there are a lot of different organizations that do. So look, look to the ones that speak to you.
1: That, That seems like great advice. Um, so this election coming in the midst of a global pandemic, which we've already referenced, of course, because it's such a part of our lives right now, but it could be easy for that pandemic to shape our opinions. And I assume that it will, um, you know, we were very eager to send our children back to school, have life return to some kind of normal, be less worried about health issues. But, but what are other issues Americans should be thinking about as they're looking at the candidates this year?
0: Well there's certainly a lot of a lot of issues that are of importance to a lot of people um, for me right now, the biggest issue is just sort of the general integrity of our system, the health of our mm-hmm. system how how our government is functioning, how I think democracy is working or not working mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so that's you know one one kind of an issue to think on. Um, I also am thinking a good bit about foreign relations, sort of how the the US is standing on the world stage. The challenges I see for us on the horizon on the world stage. Sure. Um, abortion is always important to me. It's a topic I care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, religious freedom, likewise, is important to me. Um, a lot of people will care, obviously, about taxes, education, the environment. Mm-hmm trade um you know there's so many issues and of course for many of us these issues are not going to fit neatly on either side so that's the hard part (laughs) is to figure out which issues are most fundamental to you in this election Mm -hmm. because it might change i'm basing my vote on some different issues this year than i normally do um, Mm -hmm. because that's what i feel like is right for this moment um, the next election, I may change them again, you know? So, um, I just think it's important for people to, yes, think about what your primary, um, concerns are, but also think about this moment Mm -hmm. and try to figure out how you can pair the two to the best of your ability.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do feel like, especially right now, um, even though you might think the economy would be driving. My decision making on this, I feel like racial justice has been mm, yeah, so very cool. much on my heart, and mm-hmm. um, and really a difficult one to look at candidates and and find anyone that you feel really lives up to. Um, coming out of this the spring and summer with so much um, activism and so much racial racial violence that we saw, it's just hard to find someone that you think could really. Um, Be a leader in that area in a positive Mm. way. But I just, I do feel like I keep going back to that issue and really feel it speaking to me this year in this moment.
0: Yes, yes, definitely.
1: So, what do you say to someone who doesn't feel like voting? Because they're looking at the candidates and like with so much in our world it feels like you just have to go with the least bad option like n- you know no one is feeling like the one you just oh i want to put their sign in my yard and i want to throw my you know enthusiastic support behind this person what do you say to someone who feels like maybe i just won't vote because all the options are so unappealing how do you decide to choose the least unappealing candidate and and push yourself to to make that choice right
0: well Like right now, one of my primary concerns is just like the overall health of our democracy. Mm. And in my mind, the simplest, best way to address that is to vote. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's that even if you're frustrated, even if you are feeling hopeless, just going out there and voting and being part of the decision making process, that is you contributing to the health of our country. And our democracy. And so that's my little guilt trip. Like do <laughs> so vote practice. for democracy. <laughs> you have a role to play. Oh, um, hard to argue but, with that. <laughs> but I would also point out that there's more than one race mm-hmm. on your ballot, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So um as 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 difficult as the top race might be, you might you might also be able to make a difference in the other races. So look at everything that's on your ballot and make your decisions. Um, You might have a few races where you have an opinion between the two major party candidates. You might be in a a situation where maybe on the presidential race, you can't in good conscience choose either of the candidates. Mm -hmm. So maybe for them, you go for a third party candidate. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be there's a ballot question that you want to weigh in on. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to vote in every election. That doesn't necessarily mean that I vote on every single thing on my ballot. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I will get to, especially like a small local race where I really truly do not know enough about the candidates to make a well-informed decision. Um, I mean, even to the point, some of them might not even have a website, you know, and you have barely anything to start from. If, if I truly do not know anything about the candidates in a particular local race, I will not vote because I would rather not vote in that one race than inadvertently choose somebody who's like, crazy or dangerous. <laughs> no,
1: that's a good point.
0: So I'm, there's no eeny, meeny miny mo. There's there <laughs> you have to be basing your decision on some information.
1: Yeah, not so, a multiple choice test. Right. It <laughs> actually has an impact. Yeah. So right.
0: Makes sense. So vote, but but be smart about it and recognize that you might not be able to weigh in on every single thing on your ballot.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I and I think about people who live in a state that is solidly red or solidly blue, who might feel like I shouldn't even bother. My state's already decided. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm hearing from you is is there is a purpose to their vote? There is a reason for them still to vote. Oh
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, you and I live in one of those states. Uh, Maryland know. is is very blue. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was thinking earlier. <laughs> I was thinking. I have very rarely in my life ever voted for a candidate who won. (laughs) Um, And it's just a function of, of the state I live in. And um, so on the one hand, that can be discouraging to say, Oh, my vote doesn't count. Um, On the other hand, there's more to an election than the final like winner and loser. Mm -hmm. more information to be gleaned than that. So I think people need to remember that um, even if your preferred candidate is not likely to win, like the closer you can make the race, the more likely the the winning person is to sort of um, to listen to your side, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if, if, you know, if a candidate is going to win um, in a huge margin, they have less incentive Mm-hmm. To, um, to to listen to their opponents and to try to compromise and to try to work with people on the other side. But if it's a closer race, they're more likely to do that. So even if somebody is sure to win, the margin by which they win can be important. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if say the candidate you prefer really doesn't have a chance, but maybe they make a better showing than was expected, then next time they may be better positioned to get donations and endorsements and the kinds of things that maybe next time could get them a win.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's it's more than just who wins on election day. There's more information that can affect the state or local legislature or whatever you're looking at. It's more
1: I, than love that. I love thinking that your vote has an impact that you might not see in the final decision from the day. but um, I voted for up and coming candidates that were, you know, not well known, but you wonder, like, maybe when they saw that they did receive votes, maybe that inspired them in a way to Mm -hmm. to do something in politics, um, something different, or, you know, take take a path or really act on their beliefs in an interesting way. So I love thinking about that.
0: A few weeks ago, I interviewed our friend Abigail Benjamin, and mm-hmm. she ran for local office in her town in West Virginia. Yes. And I thought that was so interesting. Like she was a first-time candidate and didn't think she'd received many votes. And she was so nervous that she would only get votes from her husband and her parents. <laughs> um, but it turned out she got like
1: 40% of the vote. She did amazingly well. And when I heard her on your podcast and she said she hadn't even thought to ask friends to support her campaign. And I thought I totally would have because I thought it was so wonderful that she was throwing herself out there like that and really, you know, taking out a cause that she believed in and doing a very grassroots effort. And and so maybe she'll do it again and in a different
0: yeah. way. And that is exciting. Yeah, so yeah, yeah that forty percent vote, even though it wasn't a win, it gave her so much encouragement and she's definitely planning to run again. Mm-hmm. And next time she runs, she'll know more, she'll know mm-hmm. more people, she'll have more support to start from. She won't be starting from zero. Right. So
1: yeah. And maybe she gave hope to the 40% who voted for her. Yeah. The, the idea that there is someone different out there, there is someone bringing mm-hmm. a little something different to the race um, and to the political world. So kind of fun. I love thinking about that. Really neat perspective there. Yeah, yeah. So how much, and we've talked on this a little bit, but how much should your personal beliefs factor into a voting decision as opposed to thinking more broadly about what's best for, for our community? Like when I looked at some of the questions on the ballot this time in my county, there were questions about waterways and streams. And then there were questions about community colleges and um, education. And one was about like um, refuse and garbage. And, um, and so like some of those, I'd be like, Oh, I don't know. You know, do I personally care if the dump is a great place when I go to drop off an old bed, but um but maybe we really need it, you know? So, so just, and these are very, very um, mundane issues, but they're expensive issues when you look at the amount of money attached to them. Uh, but it just made me wonder how much should my, like, what Rita wants from this election, how much should I be thinking about me and how much should I be thinking about my community? What would you say to, to that question?
0: Yeah. Well, I was thinking, well, hopefully those two things would align, you know, like hopefully um, your, your values reflect what you want for your community, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, you know, this is one thing that I've really struggled a lot with because um, like I grew up in a really sort of a a political environment that really valued like fiscal conservatism and um, low taxes and all that. and, Mm -hmm as I've grown older and understood more of the system and more of the world, those issues have been less important to me because um, to me, those are the kinds of issues where it's, it's very simple for us to just look at the impact on ourselves and to not think about the impact on the wider community. And I guess I just feel like as I've grown older and grown Spiritually, I have come to see the importance more of um, prioritizing things that are going to impact uh, people, you know, in the mm-hmm. community as a whole, and more than just the sense of people's bottom line, but people's like well being. Mm-hmm. So, at any rate, that's something that I've really struggled with because I definitely have this inclination toward. Um, Toward what I grew up with. And I think that there's a good, you know, obviously, I think there's a good reason to want governments to function, you know, with as much prudence and economy as possible. Definitely. Um, But I do think it's important to recognize, am I making this decision because it's good for me financially? Or am I making this decision because I think it's actually like the best decision for the best governance and the best impact in the community, you know? Mm -hmm. So those two don't necessarily align. They might, but they might not. So I guess I would just sort of challenge people to really reflect on what your values are and then sort of think about um, how your political preferences align with those values because ideally they should align pretty well. And if they are not aligning then we probably have some real thinking to do and praying to do and reading, mm-hmm. learning to do, you know?
1: And you're probably right that the times where that happens, it is more about money where you're thinking, well, why do I want them to spend $5 million on improvements to roads? That's going to hit me, um, you know, where it hurts with my taxes. So maybe, maybe you're right that, that, um, that it's more of more thinking about the fiscal impact than anything. So one thing that you mentioned earlier, I wanted to go back to was that third party, um, the idea of a third party. And as Americans, we often think of our political system as a two-party system, um, which it is primarily, but there are other parties. And can you explain what place third parties have or don't have in American politics right now?
0: Right. Well, so our political system is really... Essentially, um, I don't know if it was purposefully designed, but it has essentially, (laughs) it's essentially designed for two parties. Mm -hmm. And there are a few reasons for that. Um, You know, a lot of times people will say to me like, well, you know, why can't we have a third party that gets more attention? I mean, you see them, you see other parties and other countries in the world. But I think what a lot of people don't recognize is that we have a different system than most other countries that you might otherwise compare us to. So we have a presidential system as opposed to a parliamentary system. If you think about Canada or the U.K. or most Western European countries or Mm -hmm. Australia, they have parliamentary systems. Mm -hmm. So in those systems, you don't actually vote for your president. You vote... For your local member of parliament, like your congressman, that kind of a Mm -hmm. thing. And then that member of parliament, they band together with other members from their party to elect the prime minister. So you don't, like in the UK, you know, you wouldn't just get to vote for Boris Johnson. Like you'd vote for a member of parliament who would then vote for Boris Johnson, that kind Uh of a thing. So, um, or it might be, it might be broader than just the members of parliament. It might might be the members of the party at a, at a a level where a normal person would not, would not get there at any rate. Um, So there's another layer in between. So when you see, when you get a parliamentary system, it's more common for you to have a multitude of parties, sort of all, Playing together. And you might have a couple that are larger than the others, but oftentimes you, requ- you require a um, coalition of various parties to get a majority. And so that's where you get systems that really incorporate um, more parties than the two we're used to but we don't work like that. We're a presidential right. system. So we do actually choose our president and we could choose one, a president of one party and a congressman from another party. Right. <laughs> so, um, so that's different. Uh, There's several other things that, that lend us easily to a two party system. One is that we have single member districts in um In our Congress. So you don't like here in Maryland, we actually have three members per district. So in the Maryland state legislature, each legislative district has three delegates. In the U.S. Congress, each district has one representative. So the fact that you only have one representative, it's not like you could sort of. Shake it up at all, you know. It's oh, like
1: right.
0: you're you're generally going to choose between one of the big two because you only have the one the right. one choice, sense. you know. Um, you also have here in the U.S. We have you have elections based on a sort of first past the post system, which means whoever gets the most votes wins.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, if someone gets one more vote than the next person, that person is the one who wins. Right. So. If instead you had, say you had three members in your delegation for your district and they were split between three parties, you could have one representing each party. But -hmm. if you only have one member, then you get the one who gets one more vote. So you could have somebody win with like 35% of the vote because they happened to have more votes than anybody else. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm probably making this too complicated. Yeah. So at any rate, those things sort of all play together to create a system where time after time after time, we are presented with two choices. Mm-hmm. And when you're presented with two choices, you're going to choose one of the two, you know? Right, right. So it's very hard for another party to become popular enough that they could play on even footing with those other two parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have the electoral college. Right. And most states in the United States put all of their electoral votes to one candidate. So again, if you had, like in California, which has fifty-five electoral votes, if fifty-one percent of California goes to Biden, he gets all fifty-five of those electoral votes. It's not proportional. Right. So. So it would be very hard for a third party to ever get an electoral vote because they'd have to win a whole state in order to get any votes at all. Right. So it's right. like, you know, it's just it's just layer upon layer upon layer of systemic design really um that favors the outcome of only having two parties. So mm-hmm. anyway, I am very sympathetic to people who wish there were a third party. I often wish there were a third party myself. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon.
1: And in fact,
0: I Mm -hmm. think if we were to see a new party. It would be because one of our current parties collapsed. Mm -hmm. That is most likely. I think if we were to see a collapse of one of our current parties, then things would shift around and you would see a new one bubble up. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that's the most the most likely way we would see another party here in the u s
1: mm-hmm. yeah we 've certainly seen third parties that have captured our attention um, and gotten some traction, but never enough that It was really interesting to hear you talk about the electoral college, um, which I feel like is one of those things that i don 't think about except every four years when all of a sudden votes you know they're counting votes and everything's coming in and you see whole states going to a candidate and you think about, Oh, the electoral college, the electoral vote. Um, Could you help us understand why the founders of our country designed it that way? Do you think it is because of wanting that two party system or is there more to it?
0: No, I don't think it was because they wanted a two party system. In fact, I think in in the beginning, really there was a lot of resistance to the idea of having political Mm -hmm. parties at all. Um, So I could get this wrong, but I will tell you what my impression has always been. Mm -hmm. So we need to remember that our current system is actually a great deal more democratic than the original design. So uh, also there was more, there was more power at the like state leadership level in the original design. So like it used to at the the beginning, um, senators were not popularly elected. They were appointed by the state legislatures. So that was a newer, that was a newer development later that they would be popularly elected. So I think there was just this big sense at the beginning of the country that the states were what was important and so the mm-hmm. states would choose the senators and the states would choose the president. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when you, you know, sort of similar in with the Electoral College, you would essentially vote for electors that would go ahead to choose the president mm-hmm. on the senator, on the Senate level, you would choose the state legislature that would choose the Senate. So really, the the only thing that has always been popularly elected were the representatives. So, you would choose your representative, but otherwise you would choose people who would make the other choices for you. So, <laughs> I think it was a very sort of conservative approach. It was a very sort of like, well, let's not give too much power to the people. Let's, let's make that. sure the power is in the hands of the tapped in, wealthy uh, intelligentsia, you know, in the mm-hmm. political class. And, that makes um, sense. Mm-hmm and so i yeah. it's i think it's sort of like a vestige of that time really i don't know i don't know what what like current purpose it serves it it does increase the power to um to the more rural states just like the us senate does like in the us mm-hmm. senate every state no matter what your population gets two senators and that was done on purpose i mean that was purposefully designed so that even Small states had some equal footing um, with the larger ones,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it was, you know, to be the counter to the House of Representatives, which is determined by population. So you had one that was supposed to essentially represent the people, and the other that was supposed to represent the states. Um, and so the the Electoral College is definitely on that state model. It's meant mm-hmm. to give more power to the states.
1: It makes sense. It was in- yeah. interesting to hear you explain it.
0: But I th- I think it's it's funny because now there are all these like rules. Like there's this whole idea of faithless electors. Hmm. Like the idea that a an elector who was elected might choose someone that they had not beforehand indicated a preference for and that might not follow their state's vote, like that in most, if not all states is forbidden now. Like electors have to choose the, the, um, the candidate that their state vote voted for. But originally that was not the case. Oh, <laughs> and <crazy> so,
1: concept.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so I, I kind of feel like once you, once you eliminate the possibility of faithless electors, then I see less point to the electoral college. Like I mean, if the electoral college is supposed to be a check and to make sure that the country doesn't do anything crazy and they're meant to be more conservative and more like, let's make sure that the institutions are upheld. Well, if you remove faithless electors, then you kind of, um, in my mind, you kind of make the electoral college less less unique and yes, less useful. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's my own personal opinion.
1: (laughs) No, it makes sense. And especially in a time where, um, it's easier, well, not during the coronavirus as much, but in an era where typically it's easier to pick the states that might have the most electoral votes and just focus on those, um, at the time they were writing this, it was probably much harder to imagine a time where you could say, I'm just going to go after those five states because there's so many electoral votes there or whatever it is. Yeah, no,
0: definitely. Yeah. And I should, I should back up just to say that. um, So there are 538 electors in the college. There are, um, each state gets the number of electors that is the total of its congressional delegation. So it has, It's two Senate seats plus however many Congress. So like in Maryland, we have 10 electors because we have two senators and eight congressional districts. Mm. So that's how it's calculated. Um, The District of Columbia actually also has three electors. So that's why you have 538. That equals 435 representatives plus 100 senators plus three for D.C. So that's how you get to 538. Now, they're not the actual individuals. They are separately mm-hmm. elected people, but it, the number is the same. So that's where it comes from. Fascinating. And so, yeah. And so you get states like um, with huge power. I mean, like California has 55, Texas right. has 38, um, a couple states have 20, Florida has 29. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. you hear so much about those states because um, a lot of states only have three, four, five, six, eleven. Right. So there's a pretty big difference. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, that is a big difference. Um, That is fascinating to learn. My little American government lesson for the day. (laughs) (laughs) What I should have paid attention to in high school. (laughs) So I wanted to ask you about write-in candidates because I'm sure you saw that our governor in Maryland this year um, wrote in Ronald Reagan's name as his mm. writing candidate. And and of course, writing in Reagan, who is deceased, has its, is its own thing. But but I wondered whether there are times that you would argue for writing in a candidate rather than choosing one of the, the main candidates on the ballot.
0: Yeah, definitely. Except I would never write in a dead candidate. Like, that's just silly. I don't understand why he did that. <laughs> Surely he could have found somebody else, somebody better to write in. Um yeah, so write-ins are interesting. Um, so, you know, we were talking about third parties a few minutes ago. And um, there are ways for third parties to make it onto the ballot, but very few actually do. So, like, the um, the biggest third parties in the U.S. would be the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, and I think the Constitution Party, something like mm-hmm. that. So... Um, the libertarian and green parties are on almost all if not all ballots in the u s so um, you don't need to actually write in their care their candidates because they'd be included on the ballot mm-hmm. Constitution it depends on the states some they are some they aren't. Um, all other, pretty much all any other third parties, they just don't have the numbers required to make it onto the ballot. Each state will have its own requirements about what it takes to get on the ballot. Usually it's some sort of like numbers of signatures, like you might need 50,000 signatures or something to get on the ballot, yeah. um, depending on the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other option are writing candidates. So here, when it comes to write-in, you really need to see what your state's rules are because, um, you know, it varies state to state. So there are nine states that won't accept any write-in candidates at all. So you just have no option. <laughs> okay. There are other states, I think also around nine, that have actually no requirements for writing candidates. So you could write in anybody you wanted and they would count it. Wow. So it's the opposite of the first one, first nine. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody else, um, including Maryland, are somewhere in the middle. So they okay. do accept writing candidates, but they have to file paperwork in order to be counted. So oh, okay. um, so like in the 2016 election, I voted for a writing candidate who was one of the official writing candidates. So I, I knew that my vote would be counted. Okay. If, if I had just written in, Ronald Reagan, (laughs) the vote will not be counted because Mm -hmm. he's not an official writing candidate in the state of Maryland. So, um, and it's the, the threshold for getting your name included as a writing candidate is much lower than being put on the ballot as a party candidate. Um, It's much more doable. Mm -hmm. So, look to see what your state's rules are. And if your state requires Mm -hmm. you, requires writing candidates to be registered as such, and you want your vote to be counted, then make sure that you choose one of those people who have actually filed the paperwork and registered as a writing candidate. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, unless you live in one of those nine states that will let you write in anybody you want, um, your vote's really not going to be counted. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would say... Um, if you, if you want your vote to literally be counted, make sure you vote for someone whose vote will be counted. Otherwise, um, you know, you have to realize that it's just kind of a statement for yourself. Like when I voted for the right wing candidate, I wanted the party leaders in my state to know that somebody had voted for this candidate. Like I wanted it to be listed somewhere that was important to me. Mm -hmm. So I had to vote choose someone who was actually going to be counted. Mm -hmm. Um, But for people who just want to do it for their own conscience, you know, you have to let your conscience be your guide. Um, But you just have to be realistic about whether or not you want it counted. Mm -hmm. Personally, I don't think we have any real moral duty to choose between one of the two major party candidates. Like if I think that my conscience is better served by a third party candidate or a writing candidate, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. I just personally want the vote actually counted. (laughs) Fair
1: enough. Fair enough. i love hearing you explain that.
0: And and I, in in 2016, I, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, you, you know, if you don't vote for one of the two major candidates, you're just throwing your vote away. And, I really didn't see it that way because I thought it was important to let the parties know that those choices were unacceptable to me. Mm -hmm. And even if the person I voted for wasn't going to win, I wanted to make that statement. Mm -hmm. And it was important to me that I got to make that statement. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was, I was proud of that vote. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, you know, I don't think it's futile. Right. To choose someone other than the two major parties. I, I also do think, pe- though, people should pay attention to where they live. So in Maryland, um, it's such a blue state, it's going to go for the Democrat no matter what. Right. So I kind of had more of a luxury to make that statement.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> if I were in a swing state where the vote was really on the line,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I might have to think about it a little harder and then maybe I might feel more bound to choosing quote, the lesser of two evils, mm-hmm. but maybe not,
1: maybe mm-hmm. not. Just, yeah, you have, to, you have to put a lot of thought
0: into it and prayer into it.
1: Right. Right. And it's interesting. I do feel four years ago, there was a lot more of that conversation around don't throw your vote away. And I feel This time around, maybe it's just not where I'm, where I'm reading and where I'm listening, but I haven't seen that in the same way. Um, It's just interesting. Maybe that's not the pull for people right now. I don't know.
0: Well, I also think though, this time there's less talk about third party candidates. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a lot fewer third party candidates this, this election than you did last time.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So I think maybe... If, there, if that's not as present in the conversation, then that might be why you don't get the reaction to it as much about the throwing away your vote kind of thing. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. Interesting. So what are the national races that you're following with interest besides the presidential election? Are there other ones that are top of mind for you? Yeah,
0: well, definitely the Senate. Mm-hmm. So right now... The Republicans have the majority in the Senate by a pretty slim margin. Um, I think the way it goes is the Democrats would only have to pick up three seats in order to have the majority. However, they're very likely to lose one of their candidates um, in Alabama. So that means they would actually have to pick up four. So that's the big question right now is, can the Democrats pick up four Senate seats? If so, they get the majority in the Senate. So that's going to have a really big impact, obviously, in our politics. Mm -hmm. So, um, Yeah, that's, I am, I am almost as curious to know that answer as I am to know the the, the, of the presidential election.
1: Yeah. It's going to have a big impact. Yeah. Yeah, And do you think, like, when do you think we'll know that answer? Like, how do you think this is going to play out um, immediately in the days after the day or the days after the election? What are we going to be looking at?
0: Right. Well, I think it really is going to depend on the margin. Mm-hmm. So um, if it's a wide margin in the presidential election, I think we, we will know that night or the next day. If it's slim, it could be days, plural, and who knows? I mean, Mm -hmm. who knows how many days? Um, You know, it's important to remember that this year we have so many more absentee ballots um, than usual. I mean, I think I was listening to something earlier. They said that the total number of ballots already received is like 75% of all the votes that took place in the last election. Oh,
1: my gosh.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they they were saying this is actually looks to be the first U.S. election where more than half of the votes will be conducted by absentee ballot. That is amazing. Yes, that's really going to have an impact because um, it can take longer to count those than, you know, just sort of, plugging Mm -hmm. in the results from the voting machines on election day. Mm -hmm. Um, So it could take longer to get results. Now it's going to depend on the state. This has been an interesting thing for me to learn this cycle is that um, the states vary as to when they count their mail-in ballots. So some will um, start counting them right away. Mm -hmm. Some will – not count them yet, but process them first. So they will like take them out of the envelopes, unfold them, um, get them all stacked up so they can be fed into the machines, that kind of thing. And others won't do any of that until Election Day. <laughs> so you have some states that will be ready on Election Day to like tell you the, their total mail-in ballot uh, numbers and others that will only be starting to count that day. So it it really depends on the state, and also some states, like I said before, mm-hmm. require all ballots to be received by election day, whereas others just want them postmarked. So then they have an additional few days to come in. Right. So they don't it yet because they haven't even all arrived yet. Oh so it's just yeah. you know I feel like with pretty much every question I've answered of yours, Rita, <laughs> I should be saying. We are in a federal system.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. learning tonight. That's so interesting that each state would have its different approach. Because its each
0: state approach. does its own thing. Yeah, they're all different. Uh-huh. So, but the um so this has been interesting. So, like the big like battleground states that everybody is mm-hmm. talking about right now, like Florida is a state that everybody's super um curious about. Sure. And actually I I mentioned Um, this concept in a previous episode and I realized afterward that I had said something wrong. So I'm going to correct my mistake. (laughs) Um, I said in that episode that, um, that Florida would prepare the um, ballots for counting before election day, but I was wrong. They actually do start counting. So Florida should, we should, we should know, we should have a pretty good idea about Florida that day because they count their ballots in advance.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Um another state that's a swing state that we're hearing a lot about is Pennsylvania. And they don't start until election day. So that we might oh. ta- it may take a few days for us to hear mm-hmm. about Pennsylvania. And they so, be an you important know, one. So that'll be right. We should be keeping these things in mind when we're watching the election coverage. Like we shouldn't be like, wait, Florida's in. Why isn't Pennsylvania? Well it's like, well, because florida has been counting for days and pennsylvania just started today so you know that's the kind of thing that you should be paying attention to and like listening for whatever news sources you're paying attention to listen to make sure they're talking about that kind of thing because Mm -hmm. that that information really has a lot of um impact when it comes to how you get in the results.
1: Yeah, really interesting. Well, I wanted to ask you, like, how do you spend election night? Like, what does that look like for you? Do you have favorite ways that you receive the results, favorite places you go to watch? Are you flipping from channel to channel? Are you online? Like, (laughs) do you stay up all night? (laughs) What what does election night look like in uh, Julie's household?
0: Yeah, so election night... (laughs) I mean, I, I used to like to, um, to the extent that I could like to be with friends or whatever, but, um, but you know, these days I've got, I've, I'm just like rushing to get my kids to bed. I'm like, <laughs> come on, go up right now, right now. <laughs> I rush my kids to bed. I have the TV on, I have my computer on, I have my phone on, <laughs> all
1: the houses.
0: Yeah. I uh I will probably be switching channels um and monitoring Twitter and um sure. talking on Facebook, you know. So, yeah, I I do like to pay attention and be engaged and it is kind of fun and interesting. Yeah. Um I will probably stay up late, but I will not stay up all night. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah cause there's another day. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I'll probably make some good snacks or something. Have a glass yeah, of wine.
1: That'll really fun. And it's true with social media; like, you're never really experiencing things totally alone. Like the, you know, the way you yeah. watch debates together, and um, and we'll be watching the results yeah. come in together. Yeah,
0: it's funny. It's actually, it's like if, Twitter. I literally only ever get on Twitter during the debates or like election night. Like yeah. I, it's, I find on a regular basis, it's just way too overwhelming for me. It's not worth it, but I really do enjoy it during a debate to watch yeah. all the comments come in.
1: That is so um, true. Night.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, it's going to be fun.
0: To me, it sort of feels like being, a, being in a big room and watching something with a group of people. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like a game watch, but it's with election night.
0: So yeah, exactly. So exactly.
1: So, Julie, what do you think we should be expecting down the road beyond the election once we do know where things have landed? What, what should we be looking at beyond that moment?
0: Right. Um, well, I I think the few months following the election are probably going to be highly interesting mm-hmm. and possibly unnerving. We'll see. Um, I think a lot of what, we can expect is going to depend on how wide the margin is. Mm. If we're looking at another really close election like we've had, um, I am a little concerned about the potential for um, continued division and disruption and even violence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't think it's going to be as as huge as a lot of people fear, but I do think there could be some of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the likelihood of it goes down the wider, the margin of the vote. So we'll see. I mean, I think when people are not sure how clear a result is, they're a lot more angsty about it. Um, But, you know, a lot of it is going to depend really on how, The two candidates handle the situation, whatever comes. Mm. And they both have a great responsibility here to do what's best for the country. So we'll see what happens. Um, I am really interested to see how the beginning of the next presidency goes. I mean, if Biden is elected, is he able to try to restore some... um, sense of like common purpose? Hmm. Um if Trump is elected, is he is he able to um calm things down at all? I don't know. <laughs> but I'm I'm really yeah, I'm really looking at um November, how how we do in the immediate aftermath of the election and I'm really looking at January and how the beginning of the next term goes. Mm-hmm. And I think between the two. um, If if we knew those answers, we would know a lot about how the next few years are going to go. So, I mean, I think as much as we've all been wrapped up in how this election has gone, I think really we're looking at a few really important months in front of us. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to have a lot to say about the direction of the country in the next few years.
1: Yeah, I'm very curious. I know we're all very curious how it's going to go, especially yeah. at a time where there is so much um, anxiety and um, so much concern around so many issues. Mm-hmm. So it will be, mm-hmm. be interesting to see what that um, what that looks like going forward. Yep, we'll see. Let's pray <laughs> for peace and justice for all, of course, but praying that it'll be a peaceful time for our country. Yes. Oh, thank you, Jolie. I feel like this has been really educational and informative, but also a lot of fun to think about the election through your eyes. I really, really have enjoyed this.
0: Thanks. I feel like I was a. Uh, um, on the one hand, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I kind of did know a little bit more than I thought. On the other hand, I thought, well, I don't, you know, I. I it does kind of feel a little bit like a, a political science class. And I don't know how interesting that is to most people, <laughs> I think but. I'm- I think, you know, I think there, I think a lot of people are sort of wanting to know, like, what to, the, the mechanics of what to expect here come election.
1: Yeah, so. and I always feel like in moments where so much is unknown, like, we really don't know how this is going to unfold. I think we're all craving information just to try to kind of guess what, what it might look like and guess a little at the future. I think it's, I found it really fascinating. So I enjoyed it.
0: Thank you so much, Rita, for coming on and having this conversation with me. Um it's been kind of good to just review it all and see where we are and maybe get a sense of where we're going.
1: I'm happy to be here and I feel like I'm going to watch with a little more little more interest, a little more excitement and um especially as the states are reporting in, I'll be thinking of some of what you shared about the different ways they, they do their counting of their votes and everything. I look forward to seeing what happens next week.
0: Well, great. Great. We'll, we'll have to like uh, message a little bit on election.
1: Uh, be fun. <laughs> i definitely look for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you, Rita. Thanks, Julie. I look forward to talking to you again sometime. Yeah, you too.
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Before I wrap it up entirely, I want to provide a few notes. First, due to the delay between the recording of this conversation and its publication, I'd like to amend my advice regarding any remaining mail-in ballots out there. If you're in possession of one, get thee to a drop-off location. Do not mail it at this point, even if you're in a state where ballots are supposed to be accepted as long as they're postmarked by Election Day. Don't risk it drop it off. Second, a small correction to something I said in the episode. I might have given the impression that 75% of the votes cast in the 2016 election have already been submitted in this one via mail-in balloting. I should have clarified that I was talking about mail-in balloting plus early voting. And it seems like the estimate I gave was a little high. I heard a figure today that was in the 60s. So, not as impressive as 75%, but still pretty darned high. Third, one more correction. In this episode, I spoke several times about members of the Electoral College as being elected, but they're not. Electors are chosen, usually by the parties in their respective states for a really interesting overview and discussion on the Electoral College, I suggest you look up an episode of the podcast The Daily, which I just listened to yesterday. Published on October 22nd, it's called A Peculiar Way to Pick a President. To find a link to that episode, as well as links to Rita Bittner's blog and social media accounts, please see the show notes. On next week's episode... I'll be talking with my friend Meg Hunter-Kilmer, who calls herself a hobo missionary. After two theology degrees from Notre Dame and five years as a high school religion teacher, Meg quit her job in 2012 to live out of her car and preach the gospel to anyone who would listen. 50 states and 25 countries later, this seems to have been a less ridiculous decision than she initially thought. In a conversation that will be more explicitly Catholic than my others have been, though I hope friends of other faiths, and even no faith, will find it interesting too, Meg will tell us about saints who lived in politically troubled times. Given all the existential dread experienced by people on both sides of the political spectrum right now, I thought it would be helpful for us to hear from Meg on what these holy men and women have to teach us about living through turmoil, about facing oppression, about speaking truth to power. Thank you for listening to this episode of More Than Politics. I hope you'll subscribe to it, and that if you like it, you'll leave a rating or review so others can find it. I'd appreciate any shares, too. Your help is the best way to let others know about the podcast. My name is Julie Varner Walsh. I'm your host. You can learn more about me by checking out my blog at thesewallsblog.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at Julie V. Walsh and Facebook at More Than Politics Podcast. This podcast's theme music is by purple planet.com.